Warning, binge mode contains adult content. Warning, I want your cray cray. I want your cray cray. I want your cray hey, hey, hey. (gasps) That's a song from Jessica Jones season two that involves Trish, Jessica's adopted sister, crawling around the floor and basically being a aughts Britney Spears. So if that's the kind of thing that you're against, why don't you check out One Shining Podcast? Trisha's album has a parental advisory, and so does this podcast. Right. One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. If you cannot, at this very moment in time, tell us how many tapestries Jerry has adorning the walls of her apartment, please proceed with extreme caution. And now Binge Mode. Everything changes. And nothing changes. People die. More are born. And in between, we exist. I never wanted to do more than that. Just exist. Binge mode. Oh, yeah. I'm Allie Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. What a great website. It's great. So much Marsh Madness, NBA draft guide. Oh, my God. What a great time for a great website. I love it. Joining me now, now that he's finished checking his latest matches on the teaser app. Ooh, Tina is only 400 feet away. <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Concepcion. Yeah. Why are you cray cray? Mal, Malco's just trying to live his best life, and so am I. That's why every Thursday on Binge Mode Weekly, we'll be diving deep into the topic that's obsessing us at the moment. And this spring, we'll be diving into Binge Mode, Harry Potter. Speaking of which, hey, guys, please check out our director's commentary on the new fantastic beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald trailer. (laughs) You'll be able to find that on all Ringer video platforms. And you'll be able to find both Weekly and eventually Harry Potter. On the same feed, so stay subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate and review us. Yes, five stars. We also want to remind you that we'll be at this spring's Con of Thrones in Dallas, Texas. More details to come, but we'd love to see you there. Meantime, please follow us on Twitter at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our new Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans. Trish says it's the only social platform good enough to keep her off the inhaler for even a second. Even a second. Even a second. And you know, she gets really irritable when she doesn't take that thing. Just search binge mode and send in a request to join. We're always checking in and reading what's happening there. And here's a taste of some of the conversations underway there. People are asking, what's your favorite recurring binge mode joke? Aha. People are chatting about the Grindelwald director's commentary. People are talking about sharing Harry Potter with their kids. That's beautiful. A lot of heartwarming and fun conversations there. Making recommendations to each other about stories. What books do you like? Come join the community. It's stimulating. It's engaging. It's, It's really lovely to witness. We're soaking up every second. Join us. All right, guys. Last week... On Binge Mode, we brushed up on season one of Jessica Jones. And on today's Binge Mode Weekly, we are diving deep Deep. into Jessica Jones season two. What a crazy season. Truly ludicrous in a great way. (laughs) Yeah. Which dropped on Netflix on March 8th, International Women's Day. Women? Bing, 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 bing. Again, just to stress this, spoiler warning, as always, we will be going deep on details from seasons one and two and from the wider Netflix Marvelverse and from the comics. The Defenders, the middle of that season. Pretty Actually decent. good. Pretty yeah, decent. Pretty good. Just absolutely cherish the moment when Matt Murdock puts on Jessica's scarf to yeah. shield his face. And Jessica's like, you look like an asshole. Yeah, it's, like, it's your scarf. <laughs> All right. So climb into the RV with mom. Oh, yeah. As one does after 15 murders. <laughs> because it's time to head to Playland. Jason, are you drinking to remember or to forget? Giving a shit won't get you a better tip. Well, then we better keep it moving. Yeah. Because as we said last week, 13 episodes all at once is really a lot to process and recall. So let's offer up a very brief refresher on 
some of what happened, some of what actually happened. <laughs> the highlights. Yes. The key things that actually happened in season two of Jessica Jones by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road and to our rooms at Love by the Sea. Gotta have that mirror over the bed. <laughs> Following the events of season one, Jessica Jones, played by Kristen Ritter, is famous, infamous really, as the New York City area superpowered vigilante who snapped a dude's neck. Tough stuff. It's, it's extremely <laughs> tough stuff. <laughs> oh. oh. Meanwhile, Rachel Taylor's Trish has become somewhat obsessed Mildly. with the subject of superpowers and IGH, the shadowy corporation that gave Jessica her abilities. Unfortunately, people in the Marvel television universe do not seem to find this topic <laughs> quite as compelling as Trish does or as people in the real world would. And thus, Trish talks ratings. They're in decline. We got to go back to that old format, the lifestyle format. Lifestyle. Come on. Jessica. Runs afoul of Price Cheng, played by Terry Chen, the owner of a much, 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 much more successful <laughs> investigations firm. <laughs> Cheng wants to buy Alias to eliminate a competitor, but Jessica refuses. The death of another superpowered individual. The wizard! Who we feel compelled to note. The wizard! Time and time again, really as many times as we can. The wizard! It's named... The wizard! The wizard! <laughs> the wizard! He urinates at an incredible pace. <laughs> His oh urine can, can stream can <laughs> cut through steel. No, he can run really fast. The wizard. The wizard shakes Jessica from her self-imposed apathy. Her investigation of his death and various other factors, a little nudging from Trish here yep. and there, leads her to discover the physical location of IGH. Yep. Jessica's memories of the time after her car accident start to flash before her. Eventually, she discovers two things. One, that IGH's former subjects are being killed. And two, the homie Will Simpson. Willie, whose hair looks better now. It does. Went all the way down to the roots. He found time somehow (laughs) to get a trim with all of this going on. Still alive. Trish, meanwhile, knows that Simpson is still alive because he's been stalking her. He would say protecting her. Meanwhile, my guy looks like hammered dog doo-doo, and he's habitually sucking on a real big inhaler. Trish shoots him in the leg and takes him prisoner. Jessica arrives on the scene to stop things from going too far. Simpson tells Trish she's in danger because of her interest in IGH. And the lights go out. Whoever is killing IGH figures is here. Jess cuts Simpson loose, and they go their separate ways, and there's a gunshot and silence. Jessica and Trish find Simpson's body, his neck broken. Later. Trish begins to use Simpson's inhaler Mm. upside. She can now, when she's got a dose in her, kick ass kind of like a superhero. Downside, (laughs) this thing is hella addictive. I like to think, you know, (laughs) that part of the way that we both watched season two of Jessica Jones as asthmatics is it's really a story about the plight of your inhaler running out on you. It's one of the worst feelings when you see it down to like two puffs and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, they need that counter on the thing. The (laughs) very helpful counter. How do you not have a counter on something like this? Jessica's investigation eventually leads her to Carl Malice, another IGH doctor played by Callum Keith Rennie. She finds Carl with the person who killed Simpson, the wizard, etc., and Malice and the murderer are dating. And just checking out the octopus installment at the aquarium. Uh, Yeah, of course. And after Jess tracks them to Carl's residence, she learns that this mysterious villain is in fact her mother, Alyssa, long believed dead. Twist! In flashbacks. Yeah. In a truly crazy stretch of this season. (laughs) Wild, (laughs) wild stretch that includes... Trish's pop star whose sexuality is awakening after her child star career turn. Just wild shit. And in these flashbacks, we learn how Jess got her powers, among other things, including, again, the lyrics of Cray Cray. (laughs) I love your... (laughs) Ooh, that's like one of six words in the song Cray Cray. After the accident that killed Jess's father and brother, we learn that Jessica and her mother, Alyssa, played in this season, yes. unlike in season one, by Janet McTeer. Both were gravely injured and then spirited away to IGH. The experimental treatment saved Jessica. She returned, as we saw in season one, to the hospital where she was eventually adopted by the Walkers. But we come to learn that because her injuries were much more severe, but she did not die, yeah. as we thought, <laughs> Alyssa's treatment took years, years. instead of just 
weeks. And in the end, her life was saved. And she also developed super strength. But a couple complications. Yeah. Including uncontrollable mood swings that uh, often lead to murder. Often. I would say a high, like a 65% conversion rate on murder. high (laughs) conversion rate on murder. And her face is different. The DNA experimentation and alteration that gave her the powers and saved her life also changed something about her physically. And this is why Jessica, her own daughter, does not recognize that she is sitting at a booth in a bar talking to her own mother earlier. Her face looked hella bad right after the accident. Let's just say that. So it's an improvement. Trisha Malcolm. Eka Darville. My new dude. What a ride for Malcolm. Who is Australian, by the way. And like, what a... Mm. This guy went from a heroin addict who was absolutely like traumatized by his experience with Kilgrave to like a CW show level beefcake who is doing curls in his apartment with his shirt off. (laughs) He he looks like you should be working out with Oliver on Arrow. That's exactly right. Trish and Malcolm begin fucking. Meanwhile, Yes, they they do. Yeah, they do. Meanwhile, Chang is still looking for that payback. He tracks Alyssa to Jessica's apartment and shoots at her from across the street, hitting Jessica. Alyssa vows revenge, flies off the handle because that's what she does. But Jessica diffuses the situation and turns Alyssa over to the police for committing literally like at this point, eight or nine murders. (laughs) (laughs) Alyssa faces the threat of being sent to the raft, a maximum security prison for super powered inmates that Jason will tell you more about later on. And while in custody at the supermax facility that they actually sent her to, she has to remain on her best behavior because the threat of the raft is looming. That's right. This isn't easy to do because, as Jessica discovers, one of Alyssa's guards is an abusive asshole. Jessica goes to his home to investigate and ends up murdering him. Tough stuff, as they say <laughs> on the streets. <laughs> she is truly distraught. Yeah. And ultimately has no choice but to cover up what happened and to make it look like a suicide. Meanwhile, Trish, high on her own supply, kidnaps Malice and convinces him to perform on her the procedure that gave Jessica and Alyssa their powers. Jessica arrives as the procedure is underway and stops it. Malice kills himself by blowing up the building. Jessica escapes with Trish, who's on the verge of death. Alyssa learns about this from the news. Uh Uh-oh. Gotta stay away from the local news crew. watching the news. Stop doing anything that might make you upset. I will say, this is not the point of this podcast, but quick aside here. Some of this stuff would be on social media. It would. That's the next step is accounting for how information actually travels in this day and age. But she, we're in jail. She wouldn't have a, would she have a phone? She'd have to get it in. Oh, yeah, right. But just in general. Yeah, I agree. Like Malcolm's using a, yeah, a Tinder crazy. stand-in app it's to wild. get it in like every on a, five on minutes. Desktop. And that <laughs> tracks, right? Yeah. But where's Twitter? I don't know. Anyway, Alyssa loses her shit, breaks out of jail, and goes hunting for Trish, whom she blames for Carl's death. Alyssa ultimately finds Trish in the hospital, but Jessica arrives to stop her from committing her billionth murder (laughs) of the season. Two cops. Here comes one more. (laughs) Costa taking a break from Vesuvio. And Ruth attempt to take Alyssa into custody. This, shockingly, does not go smoothly. And Alyssa in her escape, literally through the window, kills Ruth. Which is apparently not that big a deal because Jess, after being knocked out by Alyssa in an attempt to bring her to justice, agrees to go on a road trip with her. What? Jess begins to soften toward Alyssa again, and they team up to save a family from a car wreck. But after a visit with Oscar, Oscar the hot super, informs Mm. Jess that the cops are on their tail and complicates their escape plans. Alyssa, not wanting to be responsible for Jess's life as an outlaw, leads them to Playland, where they went as a family years ago and where Trish shoots Alyssa in the head. What? But it's fine because <laughs> Jessica takes the blame for it. What? Which is fine because Jessica does not get in trouble for it. Also, Costa gets over Ruth's death real fast, real quick. He moves on. He's in a hurry. Over it. Just in general across it's, the course of the season. It's, it happened. It's fine. Question for you. Yeah. How many Marvel Netflix shows are going to end at some sort of playground? Because The Punisher ends at the carousel. Kind of begins there as well, in a sense. It does begin there as well. And then it violently ends there. Extremely violently. You know, just maybe test out a new set. That's all again. Yeah. Fan of the show, but maybe just a different look. Something other than a carousel or a Ferris wheel. It's just a suggestion. You're free to ignore it. Finally, guys, Trish develops heightened reflexes. We talked about this last week. Would Hellcat, her comic book character, emerge this season? Turns out we were kind of 
sort of one season off. Right. Little, we're going to officially get there next season, clearly. But this was really about the birth of Hellcat. She can catch cell phones with her feet. It's a skill. Handy. <laughs> it's a skill. That and is going I, to you come forgetting in handy. kicking the phone back into the air and catching it. <laughs> How could I ever get that? Excuse me. So she has these heightened reflexes due to the IGH procedure. Malcolm, he's moving on with his life as well. He got a haircut. He cut his own hair really well. Very well. A little ridiculously <laughs> well. Yeah. Puts on a suit. Looks great. Teams up eventually with Chang and Hogarth. Jessica trying desperately to yes. embrace normalcy. After a brief swing by the liquor store to sure. grab a, another bottle of tin cup. Gotta get another one Gotta of those. get the tin cup and stop a crime. Yeah. She embraces that normalcy by, you know, continuing to fuck her super hot artist, single father super, and have a meal with this lovely family. I love when they're on the road and Oscar meets her and she's like, you've been followed. They must have tracked your phone or figured out how you know me. And he's like, oh, how could this be possible? And she's like, oh, yeah, that painting you did of me that is hanging in your fucking living room. He's like, oh, yeah. Whoops. Mal, it yeah. took someone coming back from the dead to show me that I've been dead, too. The problem is I never really figured out how to live. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking with the pointy end of Oscar's paintbrush. The defining theme of season two of Jessica Jones' Ghosts of the Past. In episode six, Jess tells Malcolm, your past always catches up with you. Might as well rip the band-aid off now. In season two, the past is constantly catching up to and altering or disrupting the characters' present day lives. Jessica literally says early in this season, my past is killing people now. <laughs> Tough stuff, as they say. Let's Tough dive stuff. in. Let's start. Yes. With IGH. IGH. shadowy force that looms over much of this season and was introduced as a shadowy force that was going to right. loom over much of this season last season. In season two, we learn a lot more very quickly about what actually is going on here. We learn yeah. that Jessica has been dealing with issues that actually long predate yep. the harrowing crimes that Kilgrave perpetrated against her. Her brother and her father were killed in a car crash. We knew this, but we did not until this season know what actually happened to Jessica's person, to right. her life. How did she become the thing that she is today? The mysterious IGH stole her, and we learn her mother, from the hospital and experimented on them by definition against their will. Yes. One of the things that comes up throughout the season as a theme and was the case in season one as well, the idea of control, the idea of choice, who is actually in command of a given situation. If you are near death or actually brought back <laughs> yes. from the dead, as we know occurred here, you cannot make this decision about your life. You don't have a say. And so just because somebody ultimately is saving you, Jessica and Alyssa are not dead. That's yes. true. They are not dead because of what Carl did. Does that make him a hero? He right. completely altered the course of their lives and didn't give them any say in it. Does that make him a villain? I think that's the side that we all come closer to falling down on. But again, one of the themes of the show is that very rarely is anything quite so easy. There are all of these shades and layers and degrees and the IGH yeah. plot forces us to think about some of those. This company, this body put Jessica back into the world right. but kept her mother in the shadows for nearly two decades. <laughs> like almost 20 years. Guys. Jessica thought her mother was dead for 17 years. That's crazy. And so of course she has not processed these feelings of loss and abandonment. How can she? Yeah. She blames herself for the accident. Right. She thinks her mother is dead when she isn't. Alyssa and by extension IGH are reintroduced into her life when she is not capable That's right. of grappling with that because she does not have all of the information. And it's ironic really that Jessica's profession as a detective, requires her to look into the secrets in other people's lives. What it really does is keeps her from looking into the secrets in her own life. She maintains this distance, you know, through a camera lens by which she's able to observe the dirty deeds and the things that are going on in other people's lives. But there are pressing questions that you think she'd want to know the answers to. How did she get these powers? You'd think if you could all of a sudden lift a car, you'd be like, how did this happen? What happened to my family? You'd want to know these things. These are elemental questions, right? And Trish certainly thinks- Trish is like, yeah. Trish wants to know and why thinks don't you Jessica wanna, should want to know. Why don't you want to know this? And Jessica's like, nah. And Too painful. Too painful. It's really 
her way of coping by contrasting the banal shittiness of other people's lives with her own life. It's a way of saying, hey, look, no matter what's going on everywhere else, no one is really happy, right? That It's a coping mechanism. Certainly Trish, a former child star who from the outside would appear to have everything, is not happy. Her incredibly handsome and artistic super is not happy. Everyone Jessica Jones is dealing with issues, but Jessica is dealing with them by trying very, very hard to not deal with them. She's a voyeur, essentially, in her own life. Alias, her detective agency, helps her maintain the distance she requires to get by. And when Trish tries to get Jessica to look into IGH, the circumstances surrounding her super house, she's just straight up like, no, right. I don't want to. And Jones says, the super vigilante shit keeps coming at me. It doesn't help that you keep yakking about it on Trish talk. Good note. Maybe chat with your best friend and adopted sister before deciding to air out her entire life. Like, Jessica obviously made a choice at the end of season one to kill Kilgrave in front of people. That happened. That's not going to be hidden. She also is, like, pretty cavalier about using her powers in public. She is not— She jumps, like, from the third story window to the ground all the time. She's not Matt Murdock. You know, she isn't choosing to put on a suit and hide her face when she conducts her business. You look like an asshole. But there's a difference between that and actively campaigning using her abilities and her life as the engine that's driving that campaign. Now, Trish notes— Hey, I I never mentioned you or anybody else by name. But Jones is like, that's not an excuse. And then she continues, quote, you're making it harder to move past this shit. And Trish says, well, maybe you can't move past it without actually facing it. Jones says, I put him out of his misery. I call that facing it. And then here's where Trish notes quite accurately. I think there's more to it than just Kilgrave. Trish then pulls out a file which shows that Jones is missing 20 days after her car accident 17 years ago. And Jessica is like kind of annoyed, sort of mad. Like, why are you dropping this on me? Why are you bringing this up? She doesn't want to know. And Trish continues, Jess, Kilgrave isn't the only ghost inside your head. He will return, by the way, as exactly that later on this season. And when Jess notes that, you know, she's recovering, she thinks, from this stuff, Trish says, what, by drinking more, fighting more, more meaningless cases and more meaningless sex? Jones, hey, don't knock meaningless sex. She continues, no, I can't change the past. Yeah, but she can run from it, but really not for much longer. First of all, quickly, yeah, Trish is giving people shit for it's meaningless sex. There's a lot of what there is. A, there's a lot of pot calling <laughs> the kettle black throughout this season. Jones will also come back at Trish about like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking drugs? Why are you fucking this person? It's like, listen, yes, both of you guys clean your own houses before you start looking at someone else's. Yes, and Trish isn't the only person who is poking at Jessica. She is so pissed that Chang is coming after her business, offering to try to buy her out. And yes, this guy is definitely an asshole. Very much so. But at the same time, he is offering her, we presume, a pretty tidy sum for an agency that isn't doing that well and a job that she often seems to not want to do she at all. She hates her job. She's constantly, like, fucking up cases. That or just not taking them yeah. in the first place. Like, we should say, the wizard. Wizard. Who is named the wizard. The wizard. <laughs> I'm the wizard. He dies yeah. after coming to Jessica and begging her yeah. to help save his life. Season one ends with just voicemail after voicemail stacking up on her phone, people coming after her, offering her their business. She doesn't really want a part of it more often than not. And perhaps part of the reason that she is so reluctant in the wizard's case is because she sees something in him that scares her. And maybe that hits a little bit too close to home. And of course, we will learn that these two people were created in the same place by the same people. She doesn't quite understand why she's feeling this way, but she is seeing a connection that is real, a ghost that she can't quite give form, but that she can sense around her. And... Eventually, when he shows her these wizard powers, incredible wizard powers, they become impossible to ignore. She can't deny that he is, in fact, running very quickly, whizzing, you might say. He's whizzing across by. her office, but he's killed. We'll learn later. It's by Alyssa. Some scary scaffolding. You got to be careful walking under scaffolding yes, in a major city. I agree. This is a public safety Real talk, it, oh, I was always terrified of like either a scaffolding falling on me or like an air conditioner like that's not fastened, just like oh, shaking yeah. loose and just... Much like Cheaty. Much like Cheaty. Good place spoiler for yeah. you, guys. In case you were thinking you might not get a good place spoiler in the middle you of this episode. One. You got one. Yeah. You're basic. You're basic. And after all of this transpires with the wizard, Jessica 
She returns to her home, to her office. And is this a source of comfort and safety and peace of mind? No, she was literally surrounded by her brother's ashes, which Trish brought to her. Trish, great person sometimes. To try to push her into doing what Trish wants. Jessica breaks down. We're used to Jessica being this rock. Stoic. Strength. She cannot outrun the ghosts of her past, and she cannot outrun the emotion they bring out in her. And that is very human. We often think of superheroes and powered people and comic book characters as, because they are in many ways, something other than human, often greater than human. But it is very important to remember, and it's one of the hallmarks of Jessica Jones in particular, that these are people. And these are people who are dealing with pain and trauma, and that trauma is shaping their lives. You know, Jessica says, I thought the wizard was just a wacko. I mean, who has a pet mongoose? Well, it's quite a few people, to be fair. I hope the mongoose is okay. I was a little worried about that situation (laughs) in the wizard's apartment when Jessica outruns them and shuts them in the bathroom. And then she opens the bathroom because the authorities are coming. Right. But... She flees via window. Right. And so she left the window open. That's right. Will the mongoose fall out of the window? I don't want any animals to get injured. That's right. Anyway, he said, this is again, Jessica on the wizard. (laughs) He said something was trying to kill him and now he's dead. Ultimately, she finds a powerful antipsychotic in the wizard's effects. Whoever sent these to him are the ones who made him like that, she says. And he couldn't remember anything. She's trying to piece together more now about what IGH was up to, who this body of people, this this shadowy figure, what is going on here? Yeah. And one of the things that Jess says to Trish that's pretty heartbreaking yeah. in this season is, when do I get to be normal? When do I get to have a life? And yep. the thing about IGH is that they gave her her life, but they took away the possibility of her ever being normal. Jessica and Alyssa. One other creature that IGH brought into the world. Alyssa is actually, like, for me, the most fascinating character In this season, Alyssa and Jessica's ghosts are obviously intertwined. They're mother and daughter. They suffered grievous injuries in the same car accident. Both were treated secretly by IGH and their respective procedures saved their lives and gave them superhuman abilities. But because of the side effects Alyssa suffers, she can't hide from her emotions in the way that Jessica does. She is completely raw to them. Jessica can turn to that tin cup, another bottle of tin cup, to dull the ache of a painful memory Alyssa, when faced with a painful memory or any kind of painful stimuli, just explodes. Alyssa's character is a commentary on the way society views women's emotions. As a super-powered woman who's prone to rages, she is an object of fear. And you think about the Hulk, meanwhile, this dude can be an Avenger. He can be a hero. Guys can get mad. That's normal. That's cathartic. A woman can get mad And that makes people uncomfortable. And the show takes this idea head on in episode 11. In a flashback, we see Alyssa and Carl on the beach staring at the sea. Really, it actually looks like uh, somewhere in the North Shore, maybe like around Queens, looking at the Bronx. Anyway, Alyssa tells Carl that the ocean calms her down. And he tells her a story about how he's afraid of it. Alyssa says, well, it's powerful and it's unpredictable. That can be scary for some people. Carl, not you? Alyssa, no, that's why I love it. My whole life, I was told to be polite and to behave. The ocean doesn't give a shit. It cries and it laughs and it rages and it takes what it wants. I can't do that, but I can watch it and I can feel free. This is heartbreaking stuff and actually quite trenchant. A man can express anger and it's totally natural. We totally understand that. We agree with it. We actually think at times that that's beneficial when a guy blows up at somebody. For a woman, that's like unnerving. That's something you got to repress that. And the way that the show imbues that idea into a character that is truly powerful, that can actually hurt somebody, is really kind of genius, like, in a way. It's also so much of the heart of the season and the soul of the season because Jessica, certainly initially, before she knows that this is her mother, but even right away after she finds out it's her mother, she's angry. She's full of rage. Who is this person? And Part of the reason she feels that way is because this is a threat and Jessica feels an obligation and a responsibility to eliminate that threat, to keep people safe. But part of the reason is also because she recognizes similarities between them and their behavior and that sheer power, that undeniable force. Jessica has had to deal with people her whole life saying, that's not right. Right. That's not how a woman should behave. Something about you is unnatural. And so Jessica sees this in another woman. And of course, it's going to unite them, not divide them. And Jess when she's talking about the monster, this mythical monster earlier in the season, one of the things that she says is she's sloppy. 
acts out of emotion. Yeah. We have that in common. <laughs> There's this great scene between Jessica and Trish where they're talking about the character traits of this person who they're chasing and they don't know yet that it's Alyssa. And Trish basically says, stop trying to relate to this person. Right. And Jessica sort of handles it. I'm, I'm profiling. But yeah. she is relating. And of course, you know, she can't help but do that. She's sympathetic to her mother's plight, but she's also full of anger and understandably so. You know, it's not easy to accept that her mother let her think that she was dead yep. for 17 years. It doesn't matter what the reasons were. It doesn't matter that she wasn't safe to be around. It doesn't matter that she actually did try to find her at one point. It's not going to be easy to accept the lie. And it's not going to be easy that, to accept that her mother is literally a murderer. Ma and a mass murderer. <laughs> look, Jessica has killed people. Yes. Jessica killed Kilgrave at the end of season one. Jessica Tough kills stuff. the prison guard this season. Tough stuff. <laughs> but Jessica has never, like, dismembered a body. And not because she got mad about a thing. These are violent, yeah. vicious crimes. They're terrifying. It's hard yeah. to get close to somebody who you know is capable of that. And, by the way, one of the murders... Jessica's former boyfriend, yeah. Sterling, we learned that kind the time of that Alyssa actually did try to go find Jessica in this 17-year span, she ended up killing <laughs> Jessica's boyfriend right. instead by bashing his head, mountain-style, into a wall. Tough stuff. We should note that Sterling was in the midst of or had just finished striking a deal with some underworld figures to kind of loan out Jessica as muscle. Yes, so Sterling, not a great dude. We get the alias investigations origin story here yeah. because Sterling was in the process of trying to open a nightclub right. called Alias. He was like kind of shadily asking Trish for investment money. As you said, he was uh, associating with an unsavory yes. group of people. And Jess's life's work, yep. everything that she is committing to herself to today and doing today stems from a crime that her mother committed against her boyfriend. And it doesn't really matter that that boyfriend was basically pimping out her powers at the time. Just think about that. Yeah. Everything she is doing today comes from a moment when her own mother murdered her boyfriend yeah. and when a company took her and made her into something that she had no choice but to become. You know, once again, she is being defined by a moment that haunts her but that she cannot fully understand and certainly did not control. Alyssa also embodies some of the traits that we really like about a good fantasy story, which is take something that's a weakness or a tragedy and make it a strength, make it a power. Take a trait that is wonderful, really, like a mother caring for her daughter, wanting to be protective of her daughter, and twist it in a way that's a commentary on relationships and on power and on weakness and something about the human condition. Like the, Alyssa's character and a lot of the characters in Jessica Jones season two often act in super overwrought ways, but there's some real good character work at the core of all this stuff. Alyssa also shatters Jessica's illusions about how happy the family was. You know, that's right. natural just to look back at something through the mists of time and and kind of only pull out the things that, that you think are positive about it. She tells Jessica, your father and I were considering divorce. Dad was a bad driver, which is tough mention considering what happened. It's a tiny thing, but it's actually a perfect example of yeah. what you're talking about, which is she's saying that to help, in theory, Jessica like let herself off right. the hook. This wasn't your fault. It's dad's fault because he was a bad driver. It's right. my fault for knowing he was a bad driver and not insisting that I drive. But what is the net effect? It's right. misery. Exactly. It's Jessica sitting there thinking something horrible about a man that she's been mourning for the better part of her life. And Jessica says to her mother, so what other memories of mine do you want to crush? Jessica, like... In her view, she doesn't have much to hold on to in her past that she can hold up as a thing that's positive, a great positive, even like the source of her superpowers. A negative. The reason she has her business. A negative. The way her power manifests sometimes. A negative. A negative. For her, in her mind. She fears it. And the way people react to her because of that. A right. negative. And here is her mother back in her life taking away these small little things that are the few positive nuggets that she can remember. And crucially, reminding her. Yeah of that fear and of that doubt, just inadvertently by her mere existence, yeah. by the way that she acts, by the way that she conducts herself. You know, even before Jessica knows who this monster is, again, we started to talk about this a little bit earlier, she sees these similarities 
and they they scare her because in many ways she fears that she is or will become the thing that she hates. Yeah. Finding out that the thing that she hates in this case is her actual mother, mm-hmm. of course, is going to exacerbate that terror and that effect. And Jess's biggest fear, one of the core fundamental fears that defines her life, is becoming a monster. Right. Is becoming a killer. You know, one we we hear her say earlier in the season, one of the many times that people are trying to talk her down from how she's viewing herself, you know, I've killed, ergo. I'm a killer. Right. I don't know what ergo means, but <laughs> it felt right. And seeing that her mother is a killer and not just a accidental had to do it once killer, but a serial murderer. <laughs> Many times over. And yet also feeling drawn to this woman. Yeah. Seeing these similarities between them, it's going to terrify her not only because the sheer prospect of becoming the thing that scares her is terrifying, but also because she wants in some ways to be close to this. Yeah. And they share a bond, of course. Alyssa says to... Costa and Ruth, when they barge into the hospital room as Alyssa is about to murder Trish with her bare hands, you can leave here whole or you can leave here in pieces, but one thing you'll never do is control me. This is the same thing that Jess wants to avoid, too, at all costs. This is the Kilgrave effect, essentially, on her life. And Alyssa says in a later conversation to Jessica, I have ghosts too. They fade. And Jessica's like, not always. That is a really haunting exchange because I'm not sure which of those reads on the situation is like more unsettling. Right. Not being able to escape those demons and escape those ghosts or getting to the point where you have so many that they no longer stand out in such stark relief for you. Through this lens, it makes sense, really, that Jessica acquiesces, you know, after waking up to this road trip that eventually ends up going to Playland. This after... Acquiesces as a prisoner, though. As a pr- <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't fight that hard She's against She's knocked it. out with a gun to the head. Well, yeah, but also, like, they have that thing where they save the family and she could just leave. True. But that's the thing. <laughs> There's always that moment that draws yes. her back in. But I really think, like, part of it is that Running is natural to Jess. It is. And this so is, a is that moment of, of doubt. Yeah. How, like, is it really all that different right. from the thing with Kilgrave when right. they go to save the family and Jessica, at, like, ultimately she makes the decision that, no, I cannot use these powers for right. good. Yes, I have to eliminate this person. But she does have a, a brief dalliance with the thought exercise of yes. saying, what if I could get Kilgrave to be a hero? And here, right. when she sees her mother use this strength for good, use it to save people, to be a hero instead of a monster— She's like, why don't we just go to Montreal together? (laughs) Yeah, let's go to Montreal and be (laughs) Quebecois superheroes where everybody will forget about us. It's a great idea. Ah, but there are more ghosts like Kilgrave, David Tennant. This guy. Barty Crouch. Junior. (laughs) He back. So Kilgrave reappears to Jess late in the season after a bunch of stuff happens. Jess is traumatized. She's dealing with a lot of things. She's having to deal with this vision of Kilgrave that occasionally blurs the line between reality and not reality. And vision of Kilgrave tells her that killing is in her DNA. Also, he says, you just invite betrayal, don't you? The other thing Jess fears other than becoming a killer monster is losing the people that she loves because there's not that many of them. Right. Well, and also choosing to be alone, as she so often does, is yeah. as much of a defense mechanism yep. as an actual choice. Because that's they avoiding pain. They can't leave me that's right. if I never let them Avoid in. that pain. Avoid the even the chance of pain. And Jess says to the Kilgrave delusion at one point, I'm not a killer. I'm not you. I'm not my mother. I can control myself, which means I'm more powerful than you ever were. Let's talk about some of the characters <laughs> other than... What a season for <laughs> Trish Walker! Jess and Alyssa. Quite... A 13-episode run for our minor characters here, particularly Trish, Malcolm, and Hogarth. But we got to start with dear sweet Trish. Shouts to Rachel Taylor, by the way, for the unswerving commitment to whatever she was asked to do in this season, (laughs) much of which was insane, and we will get to in the seven. Yes, we're going to go quite deep on Trish. But man, does she commit to the bit. I'm in awe of her. I'm in awe of her. I was also in awe of your realization when you compared her to Littlefinger with the accent creep. It's the accent at times. Her season two voice is completely different. At times, the Australian <laughs> comes back into it. Really something. Trish, there's a lot of comedy in her season two storyline. Yes. And again, we will devote an entire segment of our show to discussing that comedy. But there's also a lot of sincere pain and heaviness that is also worth exploring. 
do you know what it's like to feel powerless? This is something that Trish says, and this is really the driving force of her entire season two arc and really her character. She doesn't want to feel powerless anymore. She has been through hell in her life. We know what her mother did to her, how she essentially pimped her out for fame and money. Destroyed her self-esteem bit by bit until she couldn't really ever trust herself. We see an eating disorder. We see a drug habit. All of this is the product of the trauma that Trish's own mother helped bring into her life. We learn in season two that an older man, a director on a project that Mm -hmm. Trish was a part of, took advantage of her sexually. There is so much pain in her life, so many ghosts in her past that they're always resurfacing as she tries to move forward in her life. And what's the other constant in her life other than this trauma? Jessica. She is surrounded by somebody who has abilities and she sees what Jessica is able to do with those abilities, how she is able to take control, how she doesn't have to feel powerless. And of course... One of the, again, master strokes of Jessica's character is that that is not really true. Yeah. She often feels powerless. But from Trish's perspective, she's just looking at Jessica and saying, what if I had that? What if I could do those things? And Alyssa says to Trish. She reads this right away. Perfectly. She's got them and you don't. Them being powers. Yeah. And you can't stand that, can you? And to Trish's credit, she kind of owns this. She cops to it. She's not really hiding this yeah. from anyone, including ultimately from Jessica. Right. She wants to be strong. She wants to feel like she is in control. Uh, Malcolm and Trish are both addicts, by the way. Malcolm says to Trish, there's a hole in your soul just like there's a hole in mine. Let's not use each other to fill it. It's a really interesting idea with both of them being that, you know, Trish like Jessica is a person that from the outside would appear to have a lot of stuff wired up. Former child star successful career in media, gets the big TV promotion that she's been hoping right. for, like bumped up to television. She's got a dream boyfriend. She's got a dream boyfriend. Well, Griffin. Yeah, <sighs> Griffin. It's, dream boyfriend who hacks into her computer to steal her content. Tough stuff. At the same time, there's an emptiness. And Trish, maybe even more than Jessica, is fully aware of the gulf between the way people view her and the way she feels because she's people are constantly coming up to Trish. Oh my God, it's Patsy. Right. Hey, it's Patsy. Let me, t- let me get a picture of Patsy. Picture. While Trish is doing literally the wildest street shit like ever, like kidnapping people and, yes. you know, and people are like, hey, can I get a picture of Patsy? Hey. And her own mother, again, is she a voice of encouragement no. or support? And this is after Trish sort of lets her mother back into her life. And one of the things that her mother says to her is, I can think of a hundred ways you're special, Pats. This is as Trish is lying in a hospital bed, in a morgue, <laughs> All, an inch, a centimeter from death. I can think of a hundred ways you're special, Pats, but being a hero ain't one of them. Imagine hearing that from a person that you are trying to turn to for support and belief. Of course, Trish is acting in this way or in these ways, at least some of the time. Some of the stuff she does is totally inconceivable, which again, we'll get to later. Yes. But the show's ability to honestly assess the impact that trauma would have on the choices that you make is really pretty exceptional. It's very, it's actually really compelling. I mean, we're highlighting a lot of like the really wild stuff that this show does, but there's there's so much compelling about the content and the ideas behind this show. It's a fascinating watch. Really. That's what makes it work. Yeah. There's the heart and soul and candor and that assessment of yeah how your life is a series of connected events that impact each other. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Those ghosts are always there. And extending that lens to characters like Trish and Malcolm and Hogarth, it makes the show feel full in a way that it wouldn't if this were only something that they applied to Jess. And, you know, with Malcolm, he's not, like, morally pure either. He is often held up, typically by himself, (laughs) (laughs) as like the moral compass. I'm the one who's telling you it's time to get to work. I'm the one who's telling you it's time to wake up and go. Let's focus. Let's let's pump some weight. He's in there lifting weights, thinking about this. Let me check teaser. Yeah. But Malcolm also lies. Malcolm also deceives. Malcolm also sneaks around. He gets people to incriminate themselves. His ambition at the end of this, when things have gone so south for him, is what if I go work for that snake, Jerry Hogarth? Like Malcolm is flawed too. And again, that is effective storytelling because subplots like that, like yeah. his, they remind us that no one on this show, just like no one in life, is purely good or purely bad. There are all these shades of gray. And there's something so humane about Malcolm's switching sides at the end because it's, you know, you could look at it and think, okay, well, yes, 
Jessica made me an associate, right? But how do I move up in this? And where are we going? What is this firm really doing? Also, every day she fires him. Every day she fires me. At what point do I look out for myself? Like, Hogarth is not a great person. Sure, we know that. But at what point do I make a move for myself instead of trying to support all these people who are using me in one way or another? Seeking up with Hogarth, I can forgive because sure. Hogarth and Jessica have always worked together. He went to work for Chang. He tried to work for Hogarth and right. she's like, no, you're not qualified. And then he goes and takes a job with the guy who was trying to buy out Jessica and literally shot her in the back. Like, that's was going a pretty for a tough sell. Was and going then, for a listen. <laughs> and then through that new agency syncs up with Hogarth. Yeah. But that's not something where you look at Malcolm and you say, great guy. Yes, right. you're able to say, I get it. I understand why right. he makes these choices. Same thing really goes for Hogarth. She is a monster. Yeah. Malcolm's not a monster. Hogarth is a monster. But it's really hard not to sympathize with her. She's diagnosed with ALS. Yeah. She lets these people into her life and then they betray her. Yeah. Inez, Shane. And yet it's a roller coaster. You're always going up and then you're always going back down. As soon as you're feeling bad for her, as soon as you're feeling empathy for this person who you kind of hate, what does she do? She sets these people up against each other yeah. to take them out. More chaos, more pain. Inez says to Jerry, you're a user. Takes one to know one, right? Again, everyone on this show is an addict of some sort. Everybody right. is using someone or something in some way. And sometimes that's a response to trauma. Sometimes it's actively malicious, but it's never really cut and dry. It's always somewhere in between. And as Jess says, the line keeps moving and I keep stepping over it. How far is too far? And will there ever be a way back? Season two asks us to think about that for every single character, not just Jess. Special shouts to Jerry Hogarth. Dancing with the ladies yes. who she has hired to keep her company. Striptease. Striptease while on drugs. And then there's an orgy. There is an orgy. It's great stuff. What a run for Jerry. Incredibly hot run for Jerry Hogarth, the hoags. And now... A word from our sponsor. Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Caviar. Mmm! Life is too short for bad food. From mediocre delivery for settling for what they're slanging down the street. You're hungry for something better. Ooh! Let Caviar deliver. Caviar brings you quality eats like Suvla in San Francisco, Toki Underground in Washington, D.C., Momofuku in New York, Ajana Vinny's in Los Angeles. Mm, delicious. I'm talking. Ooh. Delicious meals delivered from the best Thank local you. restaurants. You'll find exactly what you're craving, and Caviar delivers it all right to your door. It's food you want to feed your family. Yes. Your friends. Yeah. Your coworkers. Yes. Even yourself. That's right. So get the Caviar app or order online at trycaviar.com. Try Caviar today and pay no what? delivery fee on your first order, I swear. Plus, take $10 off your first order of $30 or more with the code BINGE10. Valid until March 31st, 2018. Caviar delivers to the office, too. Thank God. We're in an office right now. We're yes. going to be in an office the next couple of Deliver days during food. the NCAA tournament. Bring us some food. If you're working through lunch, planning a big meeting or event, let Caviar cater. Okay. And when you're like, where's my food at? Use the GPS tracking and watch your order approach your location. Caviar is the way. Yes. The way. Way. What other way could there be? <laughs> to get the quality food you want from your favorite restaurant. Oh, yeah. And remember, pay no delivery fee on your first caviar order. Plus, take $10 off your first order of $30 or more. Oh, yeah. With code BINGE10 at trycaviar.com. Woo! Binge Mode is also sponsored by Haynes. Since 1901. Ooh, that's a long time That's ago. a long ass time. Haynes has always been innovating. They've gotten rid of itchy tags, destroyed bacon neck, even eliminated odor. Oh, thank God. Listen, it's no wonder they are America's number one brand of bacon necklace underwear, and they just made it more comfortable. Comfort Flex Fit oh. Underwear is the latest innovation in comfort from Haynes. Do you want to know more? I bet you do. Comfort Flex Fit is cool, comfortable, supportive. It's so comfortable, you'll forget you're wearing it. What am it. I wearing? I don't know. How did they do it? With a breathable pouch for support and roomy fit. Not to mention, these boxer briefs are incredibly soft. Oh my God, not just regular. And, this is crucial, the legs don't ride up. You look like a jerk when the legs ride up. You'll want to replace all your underwear after you try them. With nearly 
universal five-star reviews. Like Binge Mode. Like this very podcast. Everyone is obsessed. They can't stop talking about it. Every time you go out, people talking about Hanes. <laughs> These guys really know how to make underwear. And this won't break the bank. Thank God. You can get a pack of three for 15 bucks. Yes, Less than half of what you pay for a single pair of crazy expensive designer underwear. I got a pack of these Hanes beauties. I put them on. I was like, am I wearing underwear or am I wearing air? This is incredible. What a pouch. It's so roomy. <laughs> My husband, Adam, yes. tells me, because I look, I don't have the pleasure of wearing the Hanes. Roomy pouch. Comfort, flex, fit underwear for Incredible. men, but my husband does, and he says, yeah, they're very comfortable and feel light and airy. So when you're binging Game of Thrones or Jessica Jones season two or Harry Potter and you're sitting there and you're like, why does my underwear look like crap? Why don't you try Hanes with that Comfort Flex tech? Give them a try at Hanes.com or wherever you buy Hanes. And now back to binge mode. Jason. Yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah. You want me to murder this guy? That's what I am saying. Damn Skippy, he deserves it. That's your code, right? Yeah, I'm getting t-shirts made. I'd give you one, Ah, but I'm not sure what the merch policy is at the Citadel. Seemed like it was pretty strict. It was pretty strict. To be honest. And I need you to assemble the Conclave and head there to teach us and sweet Samuel Tarly Uh, everything we need to know about the raft, a waterbound prison for enhanced inmates that loomed over this season as much of a threat as any character. The Raft! Last week, we discussed Brian Michael Bendis, who created the Jessica Jones character from Marvel Comics, among many other things. So let's talk today about another one of his lasting creations, The Raft. One constant issue in dealing with supervillains, where do you put them? Constantly beating them up, defeating them, and you can't just kill them, right? Because then you're like the Punisher, and that makes you as bad as they are, unless you're the Punisher. This is still a land of laws. But regular old prison doesn't do much good when we're dealing with people who can control minds or are biologically bonded with alien symbiotes or can transform their bodies into water. Aha, enter the raft. Built on the Rikers Island complex in the East River between Queens and the Bronx is the raft. It's structured like a, uh, think about like a cylinder, right? You go to Rikers Island, you see like this facility sitting on top, but those top levels are just security, creating a buffer between the lower levels where the prisoners are and freedom and the innocent citizenry of New York City. The further underground, the more dangerous the prisoner. Raft first appears in New Avengers, number one, published in 2005. At this time, the Avengers had ceased to exist after an unhinged Scarlet Witch lost control of her reality-warping abilities, causing the deaths of three Avengers, Hawkeye, Vision, and Scott Lang, and the destruction of the Avengers Mansion, which this left a power vacuum in the hero community, which, of course, villains quickly exploited. An unknown group hires the supervillain Electro, one of Spider-Man's villains, his powers. He can harness and control electricity and travel over electric wires. And they hire him to cause a massive blackout in New York City. And it's perfect timing. The Fantastic Four are out of the country. The X-Men are busy, as usual, with mutant shit. And the Avengers no longer exist, guys. The raft at this time held 87 prisoners. And some of those luminaries included... Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage, one of Spider-Man's villains. Cassidy is a deranged serial killer whose body is bonded to an alien symbiote, much like Spider-Man's black costume or uh, Venom's costume, which gives him Spider-Man-like powers with none of the responsibility. Zebediah Kilgrave, a.k.a. the Purple Man, aha, has fought against various heroes, including X-Men, Daredevil, and the Avengers. His body produces pheromones, which makes people susceptible to his vocal commands. He got his powers from exposure to chemicals, as many in the Marvel Universe did. Mr. Hyde, a.k.a. Calvin Zabo, a daredevil villain. He has superhuman strength and endurance, another chemical guy. Crossbones, a.k.a. Brock Rumlow. We saw him in Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War, often seen fighting Captain America, an expert in combat and weaponry. No powers, but for some reason that I can't really understand when we see him in the raft, he's like wearing his mask. They're like, yeah, let let Rumlow wear his mask. That's fine. Okay. Also, Scarecrow, Tiger Shark, Jigsaw, the entire Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew, interesting group of criminals. They use, like, construction gear, like a pry bar and a wrecking ball. But they're all, like, imbued with, like, Asgardian powers. Really weird supervillain crew. And many more. Despite the best efforts of Spider-Man, who gets his arm broken and basically gets his ass kicked for much of this issue and the following issue. Daredevil, who was at the facility as Matt Murdock to attend to a client. Spider-Woman, a.k.a. Jessica Drew, who was there as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. 
and Luke Cage and Captain America, 42 of the 87 super criminals held in the raft, escaped. Alyssa Jones clearly was lucky that she was not sent to the raft. Not lucky in too many other respects, though. No, tough life for She found a good wig maker. She did. That's something. One of the things, you know, we people like when we give them a little peek behind the curtain. And one of the things about Benjamin Weekly is, you know, the struggle to try to hit time and some of the things that we have to sacrifice in that struggle, like not being able to devote a full 45 minutes to Carl's T-shirt collection. Very. The Doors. The Doors. His early Doors T-shirt and then his later Doors T-shirt and a Grateful Dead T-shirt. My guy, Carl. The ponytail, the ponytail back in the day. Now he's got a trim, but this, he's still talking about pot in a way that sounds like he's definitely never smoked <laughs> pot. He calls it grass. Great. <laughs> I kind of dug this Dead character. Dead shit, though. I like it. I just like the idea of like this hippie who never, who's like, yeah, drugs are the answer. In fact, they're so the answer. We're just going to steal people from hospitals and use them on people to try and do shit. What if I take this joint in my left hand and smoke it, and yeah. then I take this octopus to oh, the man. right of me? And we make science together. Carl is a weird dude. I like when Trisha's assessment when they find his yearbook photo. Something. Again, Malcolm gets that by stealing the ID off his ex-girlfriend when he's pretending that he's there to continue to make amends. So, right. like, again, Malcolm, not perfect. Perfect to look at, but not perfect. Trisha's assessment is basically like, I forget the exact phrasing. It's something like, he looks like he's an extra from hair. Yeah. Are you sure he's a scientist? <laughs> Mal? Yeah. Now she's in trouble. Why do you think that? My balls are tingling. Jay, there's a medication for that. Don't manage me. I know she's in trouble. Because of your scrody sense? Goddamn right. Well, you know, I'm not one to stand in the way of tingling balls. Right. If your scrody sense is telling you that Trish needs us, let's turn our attention to Patsy. Bye. It's Patsy. (laughs) Heading to the Hell's Kitchen Sept to bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of the most jaw-droppingly astounding Trish Walker moments from a jaw-droppingly astounding Trish Walker run on Jessica Jones season two. You go first. Number one. This is Trish. I want your break, break. Hey, I want your break, break. I want your, I want your. Hey, I want your break, break. I want your, I want your. So, cray, cray. It's kind of catchy, too. It is kind of. <laughs> Trish Walker's post-child star finds sexually awakened pop star hit. Guys, this song has four words. Not counting the bridge, which is, ooh, you know what I like. <laughs> the four words are, hey, I want your end cray, which is repeated. That's it. Here are the lyrics. Hey, I want your cray cray. I want your, I want your cray. Cray cray. I want your cray. And then there's that little cray, cray, cray. Wait, how does that go, Parko? Hold on. Oh, yeah. Cray, cray, cray. This is incredible. And I just want to shout again, Rachel Taylor, for the video for this song. Oh, my God. Where she sells this shit. Oh, my God. I mean, incredible. Shouts to Rachel Taylor. You deserve like a million Oscars and EGOT and like everything for this. This definitely would have been a hit on TRL. Yes. The low-key Hall of Fame moment in this scene, which is easy to miss, is the album cover Yeah, <laughs> in the background. Which looks like a banner ad. She for, has for her a, finger like... For a porn site. Delicately placed, pulling down her lower lip. It is just tremendous stuff. I really love when Trish comes over to talk to Jess in this flashback moment. And Jess's assessment is, hearing it at 200 decibels doesn't improve the song. And Trish says, that's so mean. <laughs> It is mean. Yes, it is mean. Number two. Yeah. I feel compelled to <laughs> mention the literal murder tough, that <laughs> very tough stuff. Trish committed. When we are at Playland in good the finale. Shot. Good shot, by the way. Too good of a shot, maybe. I That's one of the things I want to mention. It was very it was from a distance, moving target from far away at a weird angle. Trish was just in a hospital bed in the morgue, so close to death after requesting her own surgery. She's trying to shake the inhaler addiction, which we'll talk about more in a second. She almost died. She's got these just tons of needle marks in her spine. Her mother has betrayed her yet again. And she pulls the IV out, escapes. And the first thing she does is land a perfect headshot on a moving target. Why is a headshot 
Why is killing Jessica's mother the thing that Trish thought had to be done here? Like, I think that a lot of what happens with Trish in season two is, again, like, emotionally compelling. There's a depth of exploration there that is genuinely good storytelling. And then there are things like this where you just say, Maybe there's another kind of shot that slows her down a little, that allows him to put her into custody. I guess the devil's advocate would say, well, she was in custody and that wasn't good enough for Trish, right? But Jess is supposed to be pretty important to Trish. Trish kills Jess's mother. Trish knows better than anybody in the world what losing Jess's family did to her. And she just chose to actually take away her mother from her again. That is like pretty astonishing. To be fair, Jessica is really mad about it for about a minute. Number three, quitting Trish talk. A lot of bad decisions by my gal, Trish Walker, in this series. Hey, Trish talk, you've established a brand. People really liked the hero stuff. You got to keep the topics moving. Yes, I know you want to keep talking about heroes and IGH and shadowy conspiracies, and it's real news and it's important, but you got to give people candy too. You got to pay attention to the ratings. And Trish is like, nah, I'm out. If I can't talk about heroes and IGH, then I don't want to do this show anymore. Trish, what are you going to do? She's going to go try out for her new role on CZN. Only problem is <sighs> the inhaler shakes. Listen, you got it also. Another the inhaler thing. inhaler shakes. Another thing. Trish, save that inhaler for right before you go on at CZN for your pilot episode. And don't be there like, uh, uh, I'm Trish... Uh, I keenly related to the moment when the makeup guy is like, they're like, let's go, let's get this yeah, movie. let's get it going. He's like, I'm just trying to get some color into her. I was like, this sounds like being on the set of Talk the Thrones with us. <laughs> Number, Number four. four. Listen, there's the actual murder. And then there's Man. the incredibly long list of other crimes yeah. that Trish committed this season. She performed It's Patsy at a kid's party where she put on a multicolored sequin gown and a red wig and sang a song. She went back into this life that she loathed, that she couldn't wait to get away from. Why? Because she was bribing. To get a file. A man, the father of this child, whose party this was, so that she could get an IGH hospital file from him. That is a crime. There's also Trisha's illicit drug use. Quite a bit of it. There's the time that she tries, clearly tries to get the inhaler remade. Right. No, she's but like, she's oh, a, a fact-finding ma- mission. Wait, did I say remade? Just no. here for her research. I, like, Just uh, a scientific curiosity. Right. She's clearly trying to get this thing remade. Yeah. She threatens a prisoner. Sure. Alyssa. She... Just she kidnaps Carl. That's good stuff. Like Carl is, you can tell that he's like getting a little bit of a rise out of it. He's like, oh, I'm gonna get to make another, right. do another experiment. I'm gonna get to stick all my needles in someone again. Great, but she kidnaps him. Short aside, what kind of lease does Carl have on his properties <laughs> that his like secret lab where he created super people has been in mothballs for like 17 years, but hasn't been torn down and made into anything. It's just there. The Netflix Marvel version of New York is not New York. (laughs) Certainly not in terms of real estate. She hits Malcolm in the head with a pistol and locks him in her trunk while she's kidnapping Carl. She requests illegal surgery. And guys, that's just some of it. Trish is basically on a crime spree all season long. And the reason she's on a crime spree is because she wants to be able to stop people who are on crime sprees. I mean, it's a complex face emoji. complex set of drives there. Number five, keeping Simpson's bag after he's been murdered and using his inhaler, which, come on, it's Simpson. It's Simpson. She took the red pill at yeah. the end of last season and was in the hospital after. Right. Like, she has firsthand experience with what this can do. And again, like, we're not minimizing the plight of an addict and how real right. that struggle is, but Trish is opting into something that she knows is going to tear her down. It's like literally a anonymous inhaler that's the size of like an old, like a it's 2000 an cell phone. black box. It's huge. And listen, when Simpson showed up, he was not looking great, guys. No, he was not. He was not looking great. Number six. Number six. This is a really bad one. This is tough. <laughs> Using Jess's family's ashes for leverage 
to try to force Jessica to go after IGH. This is early on in the season before Jessica has actually started to do this and is pursuing the case. Trish is pushing her, prodding her, trying to get her to do it. She can't break through. What does she do? She brings a box full of Jess's stuff that she's been storing for 17 years, and she just drops it down on her desk as a box and says, I thought you'd, you know, like, want some of your old things. Oh, what old things might that be? Oh, my dead family. Just your, the remains of your family is all. Jess's assessment of the situation, and I thought singing Patsy was the lowest you would go. Tough stuff. As we would say, tough stuff. Number seven, lecturing Malcolm about ethics, the ethics of getting a blowjob and asking for stuff. They're at her apartment. At her it's apartment. The morning after. It is the morning after. He's One of the many morning after. showered, wearing a towel, looking Looks great. great. Trish's lesson for Malcolm is, right. you're welcome, by right. the way. He's like, well, what? Who? For what? What? Jason? Yes. Why? You've been working. So have I. What do you want? A drum roll? I wouldn't mind one. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm here waiting for you. I've got all your Red Bulls, just like Malcolm. But at a minimum, I want you to help me celebrate this week's winner. Every episode, we're honoring the person or idea that compelled us the most. And this week, we are awarding our champion's purse paid out in Jerry's $200 bottles Mm. of champagne and Malcolm's endless supply of Red Bull. Gotta have that Red Bull. To the women in charge of this show. The two-and-a-half-year delay between the seasons felt weird, kind of interminable. Many have noted that the net result is that the show arrived at a perfect cultural moment. A reminder from the showrunner, Melissa Rosenberg, in her interview with Miles. Quote, this has been going on for centuries while the floodgates have opened with the Me Too movement. We've all been fighting that fight and telling those stories for many, many years. This is such a wonderful way to continue the conversation, but the conversation didn't just start. Many of us have been having it for a long time. More people are listening now. That showrunner, Melissa Rosenberg, obviously is a woman awesome note about how this season is constructed. All 13 episodes were directed by women. Obviously, the star of the show, the main character, is a woman. The primary villain this season is a woman. Two of the three main secondary characters are women. This, you know, we talked about this with season one as well. Obviously, this is not just a season-specific theme. It is a theme for the show at large, but the women are kicking ass. Yeah. And it is awesome. And also, just more generally... Netflix needed one of these shows to hit again. You know, Jessica Jones was off the air for so long, not because they didn't want to make more Jessica Jones. It's because they had all these other shows that they had to give time for, right? Season two of Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, The Defenders. Those shows have pretty mixed reviews. You know, I think we enjoy them maybe a little bit more than most, but Netflix needed one of its most successful properties to return, and it did, and we are certainly thrilled. All right, guys. Yes. Do you remember where we stayed? A weird hotel where all the rooms have love themes? Mm, Yeah, the theme was prostitution. It was a hooker hotel. It was cheap. It was two minutes from the water. You loved it. And we hope that you also love today's podcast and you were as excited as we are for Binge Mode Harry Potter and Con of Thrones this spring when it's hot, but not the hottest. And that you will join us again next week for the latest installment of Binge Mode Weekly. Until then, just remember, hey, hey, we want your (laughs) cray-cray. Hey, I want your cray cray. I want your, I want your cray. Cray cray cray. I want your cray cray. I want your, ooh, you know what I like. <laughs>